Okay, so <clears throat> we continue with the fruit of the Spirit, and in particular today, gentleness. And you just saw the kids uh, act out the parable of the lost sheep, although in the scaring of the wolf, I think, there's maybe missing <laughs> the rescuing of the lost sheep, which occurred over here. But not to worry. Uh, and we just heard the parable of the lost sheep, and kind of, you might be asking... How do we get from gentleness to the lost sheep? Well, you know uh, the voice? Do any of you watch the voice? My logic today might be a little bit like the logic of will I am. It tends to go from one place quite quickly to another. Um, But let's start by looking at gentleness and how is it defined. A modern dictionary, uh, Collins Cobuild, I looked at here, it says someone who is gentle is kind, mild, and calm. Gentle actions are performed in a calm and controlled manner with little force. And I don't know if you noticed the quote that came up before we started uh, by Francis de Sales. He suggests the same sort of thing about this controlled manner. He said, nothing is so strong as gentleness and nothing as gentle as real strength. And I think we've all heard stories about the gentle giant, but I suggest to you that we don't need to be big in order to be a giant. I think we can become a giant by being gentle. Um, And metaphors around, just as you say, you might catch more flies with honey than vinegar And so people respond much more readily to gentleness than they do sourness. Uh, Older biblical definitions uh, from the Bible hub, we get a a PKs for gentle, meaning mild, forbearing, that's another fruit, isn't it? Uh, Fair, reasonable, let's get this sense of taking one aspect and another, so not being rigid, in association with goodness and meekness, which we tend to misuse, but meekness is seen as being quite strong. In this case, they're talking about active in dealing with others. And a PTA, I think it might be said as equity, justice properly equitable. So there's definitely a sense of getting balance in here. It's not, this is the rule, let's weigh up this situation. Uh, And it adds on, the sense of being truly fair by relaxing overly strict standards in order to keep with the spirit of the law. And quite often, we hear about Jesus rebuking the Pharisees for their strict adherence to the letter of the law rather than the spirit that it was meant in. And if we, there's plenty said about gentleness in the Bible. We go back to Proverbs uh, 15. A gentle answer quietens anger, but a harsh one stirs it up. So we start to see that gentleness is calming. We said that gentleness, when you're gentle, you act in a calm manner, But here we see that gentleness has the effect of being calming, which is quite nice. And you think, if gentleness can be calming, that is very powerful, isn't it? 
if you can diffuse situations, that is a powerful thing to be able to do. And the proverb goes on to say, kind words bring life, but cruel words crush your spirit. So therefore, suggesting that gentle and kind words bring vitality and joy, whereas harsh words possibly bring depression and destruction. I wonder, in our normal lives, how well that we are able to make our observations of other people's behaviour in those kind and gentle ways. (laughs) I know that I fail on many occasions. But let's just remind ourselves again once more what the fruit is in Galatians 5. He says, Paul, Paul this is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we see these things, they all start to merge together. And in my preparation for doing this talk, it's brought the fruit more into my conscious thought, if you like. And there's been a few occasions when Margaret and I have been together in the car and she's turned to me and said, what are you, what are you doing, John? And I kind of look at her and I smile and go, I'm being gentle. <laughs> or, or I'm exercising forbearance. Which <laughs> is uh, not like me all the time. Um, I don't know if you any of you get the, the UCB, a little magazine that the United Christian Broadcast push out, but in, in, back in November, they were t- in quoting Jesus there, the, uh, Matthew 5. Jesus said, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And it went on to say in this article, when uh, talking about gentleness and meekness, it's not speaking about weakness. In our language, modern day language, particularly meek, we tend to think as being weak. But in the biblical sense, uh, far from it. And meekness in that sense is meaning power, but under control. And Jesus in a way, he was very powerful, but he was also gentle, and we are called to follow in his ways. But this gentleness with power is, goes way back, and I love um, Genesis. You go back to Abraham here, Genesis 5. You might recall that Abraham, or Abraham as he was then called, took Lot, his, covenant, his cousin, under his wing. And Genesis 5 says, Lot also had sheep, goats, and cattle, as well as his own family and servants. And so there was not enough pasture land for the two of them to stay together because they had too many animals. So quarrels broke out between the men who took care of Abram's animals and the man and those that took care of Lot's animals. Then Abraham said to Lot, we are relatives. Your men and my men shouldn't be quarreling, so let's separate. Choose any part of the land you want. You go one way and I will go the other. 
Now, Abraham was a very rich and powerful man, yet he dealt with this situation in a very gentle, meek manner, if you like. He, um, he was able to express the situation. He issued, uh, came up with solutions, but he gave Lot the choice of where he wanted to go. And as it happened, Lot chose the rich pastures of the Dead Sea Valley. Um, and as we, where is it? So, I've lost myself for a moment there. Oh, so, yeah, so we've gone on looking at the fruit. It's come clear that the fruit are all becoming very much one. They're inextricably linked. And that thought of them becoming one made me think of Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, one body with many parts. Christ is like a single body which has many parts. It is still one body, even though it is made up of different parts. In the same way, all of us, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slaves or free, have been baptized into the one body by the same Spirit, and we have all been given the one Spirit to drink. Now, this is another one of my will-I-am moments, but that sense of oneness and fruit coming together made me think of Jesus when he spoke and said, I am the vine. Uh, From John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit, uh, sorry, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love this sense of being part of a collective thing, if you like, where we nourish and we gain nourishment. It's a place, if a place is the right word, of mutual nourishment. But if you are cut off, then you cannot nourish others nor be nourished. In other words, you wither 
and perish. Now, this is again another will-I-am moment, if you like, but that concept of being cut off is a bit like the lost sheep. So eventually we get to the lost sheep in being cut off uh, and being separated. Now, I have to confess, for many years before I became a Christian, I looked at that parable and thought it nonsense because there was no way that if I was a shepherd and had a hundred sheep and one of them got lost that I was going to risk that 99 looking for this lost sheep. I would accept that lost sheep as a loss. I was looking at it in a very practical way rather than in a spiritual way. And what I'd like to do now is something we don't normally do in this church, but get you to start to do some of the work. So I'm going to split you into four groups, if I can and ask you to look at the parable of the lost sheep but from different perspectives so I'll give each group so if if I can split you into four maybe there's one group there maybe another group up to there would you be another group and you a couple might move there another group this way that's all right I'll give each of you a copy of this, so activity as such, thank you. I understand it's not normal to do this. (laughs) Pardon? No, you're in, are you not, are you, they want to stay with you. be another group then please now before you start I've got four four groups because within this story of the parable of sheep there are possibly four perspectives if you like there's the perspective of the shepherd how does the shepherd view this situation there's a perspective of the individuals within the flock There are loads of individuals in that flock. They are all going to view this situation in a very different way. The lost sheep, how does that lost sheep view this situation? Of being lost, of being found. And you couldn't help but notice the wolf earlier. (laughs) Who does the wolf, or what does the wolf represent. Now, I kind of think it's possible that you're going to see a lot of perspectives, so don't think about how it is, and try to think emotionally, if you can, rather than logically, just what would it feel like to be in this situation? And all of you are going to have slightly different perspectives. They're all valid. It's about just trying to understand this situation. So, there we go. If, so, if you guys would like to be the flock, individuals in the flock, if you guys perhaps would take on the role of the shepherd, 
If you guys would like to be the lost sheep, and would you guys like to look at the viewpoint from the wolf? What could the wolf represent? You can talk about their bit. the idea is to take in a wide view of perspectives because there, there are going to be a lot of perspectives I imagine so there is no such thing as a right or wrong perspective they're just different perspectives are you going to start us off? right okay yes <laughs> can I I might want to take some we'll do that. right so the, the flocks first of all who or what could the flock represent I mean, very much that's the church the committed Christians following the shepherd Secondly, how might individuals feel about being part of the flock? I would very much hope that we would feel part of the family. We've got sort of cooperative approach to life, gifts to share. Sometimes we might be right in the middle of things, but equally sometimes we might get a bit rebellious. We might go our own way, which we shouldn't be doing. But the key thing is we want to be, make sure that being part of the flock is being part of the family. And how might we feel when the shepherd leaves us to find the lost sheep? In the first place, we could feel possibly rather scared. Um, but at the same time, although we feel scared because he seems to have gone away, we might be rather sad as well because of that. At the same time, we, we know that we can still turn to the shepherd, even though perhaps he couldn't seem to be immediately with us, we know that we're in a different position, we can turn to him. And also, it could be very sad because one of the flocks got, got lost. That might be uh, a really sad thing. And how might they feel towards the lost sheep? Well, possibly we could be very cross with the lost sheep because he's gone off the wrong way. But maybe we would hope that we would be concerned and we'd be worried for the lost sheep and how might they feel towards the shepherd a critical thing is to trust in the shepherd but sometimes you might have concerns or uncertainties Um, does the shepherd love the lost sheep more than he loves us but the critical thing is we're all part of the flock and that's the key thing thank you you. and and the shepherd so who could the shepherd represent well uh, Jesus was uh, our conclusion Um, Um, how might he feel about being a shepherd? He has a, a, a sense of responsibility and uh, just love, loving them all, not just the whole flock, but as individuals as well uh, is, is a very important part of it. Um, we did just debate a little bit as to actually what the flock is. Is the flock just those who know and love Jesus, those who belong to him, or is it everybody, all mankind? Uh, because he equally loves all mankind and wants all mankind to, to, to be part of the flock. Um, how might he, he feel towards the lost sheep? Well, caring and loving, and remember that he knows each of them by name. And uh, desperately sad for them, and... Um, how does he feel about the lost sheep? Well, desperately wants it back because he loves 
that, that sheep as an individual, and he fears for it as well, uh, in, in the potential danger it can get into. And the flock is not complete without that sheep. And there's one just little bit, uh, John, you, you said about leaving the other sheep in danger. Well, there are two words which uh, you need to, to remember there. And it says, does he not leave the 99 in the open country? The open country is far, far safer than leaving them in the hills and in the mountains where the, the wolf can ambush them. And in, in the open country where the guards, the dogs, can see danger coming. So actually, it's not as dangerous to leave them in the open country uh, as, as it would up in the mountains Okay, so the lost sheep, who or what are the lost, does the lost sheep represent? It's our own free will, um, so each one of us, yeah, can be the lost sheep, um, and, or people who have not made a commitment to God. Uh, feeling about his or her life, well he doesn't really realise that he's lost, he's just happy to puddle along. And he's been puddling along with everybody else and he'll puddle along with on his own. Um, oh, how does the lost sheep feel towards the flock? It's before, he doesn't actually realise he needs them and he doesn't realise he needs people around him um, and need their protection. But when he's on his own, he realises that actually he did need the support and the uh, of the flock, of the people around him because there's more danger out there when you're on your own um, uh, oh and towards the shepherd before he didn't realise you don't sort of realise that you need him you need the support the benefit of having a shepherd around you but then <coughs> after you feel relief, joy and security thank Okay. Right. Who or who or what might the wolf represent? Well, straight away, we thought Satan and his outside influences, subtle whispers, and it can also be, um, let's say, non-Christians towards our, our Christianity, little putting little doubts in your mind, um, making you feel vulnerable, lacking confidence. Satan is so, so subtle, and that's what wolves can be quite subtle. Um, how might the wolf feel before the rescue? Hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Happy, looking forward to killing the lamb, maybe, you know. Um, he feels rewarded because he's, he's stalked this lamb, possibly, and he's waited and waited for one lamb to stray, and he's patient. Um, so we feel that's how he's feeling. Um, how might the wolf feel towards the shepherd? Wary, angry, because he's not going to have his dinner, is he? Fearful, maybe, in competition with the shepherd, but also respectful. You know, uh, he obviously has had this confrontation before, so he knows who the shepherd is.
Uh, how might the wolf feel towards the flock? Potential victims? Frightened of them because there's a whole lot of them together? That's how we feel, maybe, you know, and still, still waiting for somebody to fall away. But as Paul said, being out in the open country is not so easy for, for a lone wolf because he'd be seen too easily, wouldn't he? But that, does, that doesn't stop Satan. He still wants to, to try and trip us up, doesn't he? And, you know, he's ready. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, quite a lot of perspectives, and I can't help but feel that us as individuals have probably moved from one role to the other at various stages of our life. I know I've spent a lot of my years as a lost sheep, but I know that I've also played the role of the devil to some extent, if you like. I have tempted people... Temptation is always there, and I've taken a part in doing that at times. So I think we switch, we move from role to role, and we need to make a conscious effort to be in the roles that Jesus encourages us to, to take. Okay, that, that's it for that. Thank you. And I know it was unusual, but I, I, if it provokes thought, and I know I've done this in a, another church somewhere else, me not doing it, but in your place. And the thing that I found remarkable was that on Thursday, the following Thursday, I was still talking about it. And I thought, I've listened to loads of sermons, and by the time I've gone out of the door, I've very often forgotten what it is. So if you're still talking about it, even tomorrow, I kind of go, ah, it was maybe worthwhile, although unusual. Okay, 